This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3138 for Wednesday the 12th of August 2020. Today's show is entitled Linux in Laws Season 1 Episode 12 Reminiscing in Floss Weekly and is part of the series Linux in Laws. It is hosted by Monochromec and is about 94 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is an interview with Randall Schwartz of Floss Weekly fame. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Linux in Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. This is Linux In-Laws, Season 1, Episode 12. Reminiscing on Floss Weekly. Martin, how are things? Things per- are great. Perfect. Audio is working, no echoes, no automatic volume adjustment. Finally! So what else could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Excellent! Um, <clears throat> yes. How are you? Not too bad. We're looking yes. forward to today's, to today's interview with a guy called Reddit Schwartz. We have been working on this for quite some time, as probably most of our listeners know. Uh, Randall used to do a show called Flus Weekly uh, for the last Lots. 10 years at least, I think. But Randall will tell us more during the upcoming interview. But before we get to that guest, uh, to that interview guest, let's do some news. Some Martin, news. What, yes. what do you have in terms of news, as in things that are not, uh, that are not old, unlike us? <laughs> <laughs> or grumpy. So. <laughs> yes, Mark. Why don't you tell us about the new and upcoming podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the young and uh, joyful coders. These are the ones. <laughs> These are the ones, indeed. Uh, starring ourselves. Uh, yeah. Okay. The news. Yes, my my biggest news, I think, was um, 
the Mac announcement. Presumably you are familiar with this Which one. Which one? There are quite a few <laughs> these days. Well, they, they probably are. Be, being the size of the company they are, but obviously they change from Intel to ARM-based. Making their own chips for Mac. I thought we were recording this in July, not June, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing old news. So, there we go. Oh, uh, you four, four week old news. <laughs> okay. okay, okay. I don't know if you heard this, but Google <laughs> made an announcement last week. Uh, we are recording this. What is it? What's the date, Martin? 25th? 27th, yes. Google made an announcement last week, actually, that they finally opened up um, user level threads. Mm-hmm. Um, as. Avid listeners of the show will recall there was an, an episode not too long ago where an unbeknownst co-host basically, um, I can't remember what, what, what episode it was, but uh, just to recap, um, there are current level threads and there are user level threads. And the disadvantage mm. of, of current level threads is that once you do a rescheduling of any thread, you have to cross from user to kernel space, do the rescheduling as in the context switch and go back to user space, which normally is a very cost-intensive time uh, operation in terms of CPU cycles. So the idea behind something called Futex, as in fast user space mutexes, is to minimize the amount of boundary crossings, as in to the kernel and back, um, so that the majority of the stuff can be done in user space. There were additions to the kernel as early as, I think, 2.5, and Google made a presentation of an enhancement of this API in 2013. Essentially, it's a fine-grained um, optimization to that user space API that allows simply a, a swapping of threads. Imagine your ordinary message queue. Say there's one thread producing stuff, then another thread is consuming, is, is modifying this, and the con- and then the producing um, thread is take, takes the um, takes the result back ba- back again. So in essence, you would have, from a kernel perspective, um, three context switches: one from te- one from thread two, uh, one from one from thread one, to two, and then back to thread one. So, um, uh, needless to say, with uh, Futexes, as they're called, you can um, do this with also three operations. But um, Google has proposed as early as 2013, and you'll find the link in the show note, a mechanism, basically, to simply swap these threads, combining operation one and three. And you'll find the performance benchmarks in that presentation that we're going to link to but if for this particular use case, it's quite significant. They have, according to the Linux kernel mailing list, they have proposed this as of last week, but uh, when I did some research for this episode, I came up about a Fuchsia article that is as uh, old as last year, I think. So apparently the, the Fuchsia implementation is ahead of the Linux kernel patches that they have just submitted for 5.9. Okay, so it's actually been um, submitted already. Cool. It's coming up for, for 5.9, and I reckon this is only the first set of patches that they will do 
um, for their full implementation of a full-blown user space threat library. With the idea is, of course, um, to make this much more performant. Apparently, they mm -hmm. have been using these kernel or these or these user or these user level threads actually for the last couple of years inside Google, but they are only slowly open sourcing this. And this is the first kind of set, patch sets. Oh, this is the first patch set rather because it's only one that we're seeing mm -hmm. right now. Okay. Looks like they are finally embracing. Oh, they have been doing this from day one. More or less, but they haven't open source it. It's of course the secret source in terms of the um, um, search engine. Uh, sorry, uh, of the search engine um, 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 algorithm, but stuff like Protobuf or the or the or something called gRPC mm, sure. yeah. built GRPC, on top of Protobuf yeah. have always been open source. Go Lang is open source. Kubernetes is just to name a few contributions to the community. I mean, no Google. I mean, in contrast to what other people say. Uh, Google has always been a strong proponent of open source. It's just the case that they do not open source everything, but rather only selected components. Like many companies. Yes, do. more or less. Mm, our own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, full disclosure, if people um, um, haven't listened to the back episodes, we still... Uh, sorry, we, we have to cut this out. We work for Redis Labs. <laughs> 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 yes, an Opua company... Um, um, I will continue to work there, uh, whereas um, that's unfortunately not the case with Martin anymore. I can spill the beans, right? Yeah, spill the beans. Four no, Mark, uh, Martin is actually is, is, sure. is, is joining a company called Microsoft, probably been uh, probably known for its closed source approach for the last what thirty or forty years, and I think he won't be joining the WSL team. That's for sure. No, he won't. No, no. sorry, no, 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 no. Uh, let's not do that. No. Um, so, what, what about your future um, employer? It's still a company called Redis Labs that hasn't changed. Oh, okay, okay, not the Rust. Academy no, 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 it. and I'm not. I do not <laughs> intend to start a Rust Academy. No. Okay, okay. Uh, maybe uh, now it's time to bring uh, our to bring on our special guest. Yes. yes. So, uh, with, an, with no further ado, let's get into the interview. Brendel Schwartz, Mr. Brendel Schwartz, um, great to have you with us. Thank First you. of all, thank you very much for taking the time. Um, this is a somewhat of a free-flow format, so in contrast to Floss Weekly, we don't have any... Um, script, no questions. Oh, I'm joking. We don't have any prepared list of questions. So what we would like to do basically shed some more like uh, light on you as a person. And of course, Floss Weekly probably being the most important open source podcast on the planet. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the history of this and okay. your contribution in this area, because, uh, which has been, of course, given the last 10 years be more than significant. But let's start off with Randall Schwartz as a private person, um, not having invented Perl, but certainly having contributed a lot of um, knowledge to the community. So why don't you give us a little bit about, about uh, of a background about you and where you come from? Okay, well, um, I've been doing open source for 
I think 20 years now. Well, no, at least, at least as long as Pearl's been around. So I guess about 30 years. I'm trying to figure out, I'm going to do the math here. It's, uh, well, I'm getting old. So math is tough. You know, it's kind of crazy that way. <laughs> um, I, um, I got into Pearl, uh, because I had been contributing to the mailing list for Pearl, but back before there was actually a Usenet uh, news group. And, um, at one point, uh, Larry came out with, um, Larry Wall, creator of Pearl, uh, came out with version, uh, I think it was three. And the man page had gone from 20 pages to 60 pages. And people said, uh, there's too much documentation. Can you, uh, write up some sort of tutorial or something? And I had been a technical writer for, probably 15 years before that. So in fact, I have a somewhere actually it's in in storage right now, but somewhere I have a a shelf full of books that I wrote, but I ghost wrote it because, you know, I was working for various companies and uh, uh, basically writing for them uh, as a hired uh, contractor. And uh, I think at that point I was an employee at most places uh, so I've only been a contractor for, uh, since, I don't know, it's been a while. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's been, a, definitely been a while. <laughs> so, uh, Larry said in response to that, uh, where I said, there's, 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 uh, too much documentation. What they really wanted was tutorial stuff. And I was really good at writing up that sort of thing. And so, um, Larry said, uh, well, if I get some spare time, I'll write something up. Um, and I knew that Larry had, you know, a wife and four kids and he was a church choir director and he had a day job and all this stuff. So I knew that him getting spare time was going to be a bit, uh, a bit dicey, probably not going to happen anytime soon. Um, so I volunteered. I said, um, you know, if Larry wants to write something up, I, I'd be happy to help him with it. And um, um, the sysadmin at O'Reilly, uh, uh, Amber, I think it was her name, um, said, well, if you're going to write something up, we might as well publish it. So I never pitched uh, Programming Pearl. I never pitched it anywhere. It just uh, it basically got solicited by O'Reilly. And, uh, so I immediately wrote Larry and I said, Larry, uh, they want us to write a book. Uh, I'll go in with you on it. Um, which is, um, uh, an awkward preposition, uh, a, a proposal. Um, I don't know if you remember the movie Xanadu. Maybe you didn't see that, but you're probably more sane for not having seen it. That's <laughs> one of favorites, right? <laughs> but one of the things, one of the things they said, uh, in the movie, which I really like, which was, um, uh, what's, what's, what's a partnership like? And it, it, it's like marriage without the good parts. <laughs> and it's, it's one funny. of my favorite one of my favorite lines and so quote, yeah. yeah yeah so uh so i you know i i knew that if i was gonna you know i knew that this book would take about you know i don't know 10 months to a year to write 
and we'd have to do it all by, and back then it was just email. There was no, uh, there was no IRC. There was no, um, we, we didn't really have FTP, you know, so it was all sending chapters back and forth by email. And so, uh, but I got involved by writing programming Perl. And then, um, I started teaching classes, um, in, uh, in uh, Silicon Valley. And, um, I had to prepare tutorial materials for that class, obviously, because, you know, the programming Perl is not a tutorial book. And, uh, about midway through the first week, somebody came up to me and said, you know, programming Perl is a good book. We like it, but this this set of materials you've got here is much better. It it should be a book. And so I emailed um, Tim O'Reilly. Back then he made a lot of the decisions. Uh, I think he still makes some decisions, but I don't know. I think he's probably mostly kind of out of the loop now. But uh, I said, uh, here's the chapter titles. Uh, uh, You know, this... I think this would be a good book because it would be a tutorial book that would be nice. And the fastest response I ever got from him was 15 minutes later. He wrote back and said immediately, let's do it. Let's do it. Because uh, programming Perl was gold. It was amazing. You know, it it, it set outpaced all the records they normally print enough copies on their first run to theoretically last a year. We sold that out in a month. So it was an amazing, like over the top for sales and stuff like that. Well, learning Pearl became the basis of my income for the next six or seven years because I had five instructors working for me. Uh, I was traveling all over the U S teaching classes personally, but also having my other instructors teach classes at various places. And it was, it, it just, it put me on the map. You know, I kind of missed those days because I was making money hand over fist, you know, and now it's not so much. So, um, uh, it's a, I'm, I'm back to just, you know, being a contractor for hire. So, um, not quite the same. So, uh, my contributions to Pearl were primarily, uh, me, Contributing on the net, you know, talking to people, um, uh, and also the, these uh, these books. Um, I wasn't involved after Programming Pearl Second Edition, or yeah, after that. So, um, but uh, you know, I still still get royalties from uh, uh, Learning Pearl, so that's kind of nice, and also Intermediate Pearl and. Um, I don't think I get anything off of Mastering Pearl because it's not really my book. It's, uh, that's Brian Foy's book. So, um, but, so okay. that's, that's kind of the back and forth. You know, I help people on the net and, uh, I wrote these wonderful books. So I take it then from, from what you were saying about the, um, kind of the, the, uh, you were initially really busy and getting uh, a nice income from this, um, writing these books that, that in current days, Pearl is less uh, popular, let's put it that way. No, uh, it's, it's actually still more popular. It's just, a, 
it's a smaller piece of a bigger people pie. People don't write books anymore. That's <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. It's a smaller piece of a bigger pie. It, but there's actually more pearl coating being done today than there was during the dot com boom. It, so it's 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 still very popular. It's just it doesn't seem like it because again, it's a smaller piece of a bigger pie. I mean, you see this with the daily rates because per programmers and and admins in that area are still in in high demand, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. In fact, the big <clears throat> problem the big problem we have right now in the Perl community is that managers want to hire. Pearl people, but they can't find enough of them. You know, people are going, oh, I want to be on Python. I want to be on Ruby. I want to be on all these other things. And they're, they're moving away from Pearl, but if, if they could make a ton of money, if they just, you know, uh, and Pearl's not that hard to learn, you know, it's, it's still pretty easy. But then you see, um, even if these young hipsters become involved with Dart, like a certain Randall L. Schwartz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> given the fact that you are some sort of ambassador for Google here? Um, yes, I'm, uh, uh, at least at the moment. GKE or something, uh, right? Yeah. GDE. Uh, GDE at least yeah. at the, yeah, at least at the moment. Uh, it turns out I'm supposed to be recording all the things I'm doing for Flutter and Dart. And I haven't been, and so they're probably going to cut me at the end of the year. So, okay, uh, which would be sad. Uh, but you know, I, I, the problem is that their form doesn't allow for the things that I'm typically doing. Typically, what I'm doing is I'm on uh, Gitter, I'm on uh, Stack Overflow, uh, I'm on IRC. You know, and those are things that d- can't get recorded. They want actual. Like I did this presentation at this conference. Well, I'm not going to conferences. I'm not doing that. So I'm, I'm probably this is probably my last year as a, as a Flutter GDE, but I shouldn't say that out loud because it might give them ideas. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, but uh, no. What that what that represents is that I got vetted uh, two years ago. I think it was two years ago, and. Um, um, uh, basically got asked a lot of questions from a lot of experts. And, um, what's funny is I went to, uh, uh, a meeting for, uh, Google, for the Google GDEs. And I, some guys sat next to me and said, thank you for everything you're doing in Gitter and, and Stack Overflow and all that stuff. We really, really, really appreciate that. But that, I don't think that's enough to actually carry me through. Uh, the next vetting process, so we'll see. Eh, I don't know. It's it's okay. It'd can nice. you talk? Yeah, can you talk about this vetting process, or would that be under NDA? Um, it's this the simplified version of it is that I I got asked a bunch of questions, and um, like technical and stuff. It was, and it was well. Okay, well, here's the funny part. Here's the funny part. I did, I did a, uh, I, I did a sort of a end run, uh, to begin with where I said, uh, look, I'm still learning Dart and Flutter. Um, but I know how to Google. <laughs> and, <laughs> excellent, and, and, excellent. And so, and so they went, well, then you don't need to. And, and so what's funny is the entire technical interview, it should be a technical interview. 
I didn't get asked a single dart or flutter question. You serious? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, but also because I carried in a reputation too. I was, you know, I was well known, you know, Floss Weekly, things like that. Um, uh, and so, uh, they wanted my energy and charisma and were willing to sort of ignore the fact that, uh, I'm still learning <laughs> Flutter and Dart. Okay. Yeah. Uh, going, yeah. Going back to Pearl now, what do you make of Pearl 6 and Chameleon and all the rest of it? Given the, given the fact that this is quite a diversion from Pearl 5 and the community, as far as at least as far as I perceive, is quite yeah. split up about the issue. I I don't see any reason for me to learn it because I don't, I don't think there's okay. a, I don't think there's a business investment for me. Okay, you know, and I have to focus on things that you know I'm going to get business out of, and I'm going to get a lot more business out of Flutter and Dart than I am out of uh, out of Pearl Six, hmm. for sure. Do you think that this is, I mean, some people are under the impression that this is actually a stillborn, um, given the diversion from Pearl 5 and hipster concepts like a virtual machine that is used for Pearl 6, and uh, never mind the incompatibility to the old code base? Um, um, <clears throat> uh, no, uh, there is a big Pearl 6, well, Rakuto now, or whatever it's called now, um, uh, they changed the name. Yeah, again. I think it's it's either Camellia or Rakuto or something like this. Yeah, the, but yeah. I know what you mean. The VM, yes, the underlying VM infrastructure. Um, I, I don't know why you keep saying VM. Uh, well, it's 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 like it's a virtual machine. Layers. Yeah, sorry, no, it, no, that that all that all changed. That all changed hmm. about uh, two years ago. I'm out of touch apparently. Please elaborate. <laughs> yeah. So basically, what happens is as as uh, Pearl 6, uh, uh, as Rakuto boots, it builds new layers all the way I up. See. Okay. And, and so, but those are all written, all pretty much written in, in, uh, Pearl, uh, but various kinds of Pearl. There's mini Pearl and, uh, medium Pearl. I don't know all the names, but large Pearl. <laughs> yeah, right. Large Pearl, right. <laughs> Okay. But, 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 but yeah, so the, the, the lowest level is, is, is actually generated from, uh, Perl code. So they have a Perl to, uh, uh, machine code. Well, not machine code, a Perl to C translator at the lowest level. And so it's actually Perl all the way down now. Right. I see. Which is really interesting. Yeah. So this is self-hosted. And how does the how does the uh, how does the Perl to to C layer work? Because I reckon you can't do it with on the fly compilation, right? Uh, I don't know what you mean by um, can't um, sorry. Well, I mean, if you take Perl six source code and translate this to C, and then translate it to machine code, every time you start up such a such environment, that will take a lot of time. No, a lot of that's cached. So ah, okay. So, uh, yeah, they're sort of the lowest levels of boot and then those are cached so that they can be used again the next time. This is my understanding. I'm probably wrong and I'm probably going to get yelled at by my, my <laughs> Rakuto friends. But, but okay. like I said, I'm not, I'm not studying it. I, I think, I think Dart and Flutter have better legs than Pearl 6 does for any 
use? Well, given the fact that we're looking at an established ecosystem available on most of the platforms, including desktop, yes. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, what do you make of, of WebASM and, and, and the Rust community around this, if you can speak about this or want to? Haven't, haven't been tracking that, actually. Okay. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. I, I know about Rust. I know about WebASM. Um, but, uh, and, and at some point, it may, that may be targeted by the Flutter community, but, um, or I mean, not the Flutter community, but, uh, the uh, Dart community, because mm-hmm. that would make sense. Uh, at some point, it might be targeted, but um, uh, uh, the, 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 there's not enough motivation because they've got uh, Dart to JS fast enough that it's almost the same as if you had WebASM. So, okay, yeah. I mean, given the fact that quite a few members of the community are actively working on a Rust to web as a compiler, meaning that the LLVM backend, sorry, um, <laughs> the underlying compiler infrastructure behind Rust um, can then generate web as instructions. That gives you a whole new perspective about clients and fra- about client side web frameworks. Yep. Um, and I reckon uh, Rust. I wouldn't say it's 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 the most prominent one, but it certainly has a lot of exposure in this area. And I don't see Dart quite there yet. If Dart is targeting this at all, which is a well, very com- up and coming sector, by the way. Dart is uh, Dart uh, Dart to JS is very mature. And I mean, it's being used in huge projects at at Google and uh, and other places now. Uh, so there's uh, the reason you don't hear about it is because people got uh, got upset when Dart wasn't going to be embedded in the browsers. <laughs> okay. it, was, it was communicated wrongly. It, it should have been communicated in the way that. This will mean that we don't need to put it in all the browsers. You know, we've got a very efficient Dart to JS. And in fact, the current one is really great. It's, it's got incremental compilation, incremental load, um, uh, nice debugging, uh, all sorts of things that you would want out of, uh, any kind of, uh, native, uh, uh, uh VM. And part of the problem is that they were coming up with conflicts about who's on first <laughs> when you had both the uh, Dart VM and the, uh, the the V8 VM both fighting over who's got control. Indeed. I mean, V8 is a pretty efficient implementation. I mean, Google perfected this pretty much down to the notch. Right, um, which means that once you have a good Dart to JS, you, you just spit it at the, at the, the V8 yeah. and you're done. I mean, but on the other side, I mean, if you're targeting a whole, um, suite, like, like G suite at the client, you probably need a very efficient JavaScript implementation because otherwise this commercial model will fold because the browser is simply not, not fast enough to execute this properly. So you need a good JavaScript implementation. Right. Changing tack now. Changing tack now. Sorry, how did you get involved in the uh, the Dart Flutter? (coughs) um, Excellent question, Martin. Let's put it that way. (laughs) 
Well, I had uh, I had heard about Dart, and I ended up uh, having a couple of Dart people on Floss Weekly, and I got excited about that. And then it turns out that uh, you know when Flutter was first coming out, uh, my uh, buddy Wim Wheeler um, was uh, uh, turns out uh, he's a local Portlander, so. Um, Portland, Oregon, by the way, in case you don't know which Portland I'm talking about. Um, and it turns out that he was working for Google and, uh, he had come on, um, uh, well, he had, he had invited me to come look at the Google offices in uh, downtown Portland. And I said, sure. So I came on, uh, to, to property and, uh, he said, uh, so he started talking about Flutter and all that stuff. And I said, well, I want to write some code, some, you know, a, a dart book. And he goes, no, I don't think you want to write a dart book. I think you want to write a Flutter book. And I said, why? And he goes, well, here's what's interesting about Flutter. And it's, you know, the hot reload, the, the, now the multi-platform. Uh, but, you know, being cross-platform between uh, iOS and Android wasn't really the the big selling point. He said. In fact, uh, when we have the we did a presentation together, and at the last bullet uh, be below all the other bullets was uh, also works on both iOS and Android. And it's because that's not the important thing. If you were just doing iOS or just doing Android, you should still be using Flutter. It's, 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 it's so much easier to code and you don't have to know all the native, uh, APIs. You don't have to, uh, right. deal with all that. It's just, it's just a much, a much better right. ecosystem. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, how did you rate the maturity of this now? It's, it's obviously been around for a few years, but, um, oh, there's, there's like thousands of applications in both stores already. Uh, so yes, I, I think it's mature and the fact that it's now working, uh, flutter on web, uh, flutter on desktop. Um, you know, there's a few more platforms that are coming along, but I can't say because I'm under an NDA, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's part of what I have to remember is that I'm under an NDA. So I have to be careful about uh, what I say in public. Sorry, Chris, you mentioned there. There's a there's a great demand for for Perl developers. What's that like for the for the the Flutter and Dart kind of? Um, well, people? most most of the stuff is green starts. So people uh, are people are you know forking off of their own companies, uh, forking off their own companies, I should say, and are building it themselves. But you don't really need to be a Flutter expert if you have some mobile experience. You can pick up Flutter really quick, and uh, uh, and 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 Dart's an actually pretty simple language to learn as well. And it's it's really strongly typed now. It was only like loosely typed uh, before, but uh, Dart 2.0 is very strongly typed. It's so much that I'm still trying to figure out how to do everything. Uh, it's a little confusing for me having come from the Perl world, you know. So complicated stuff 
yeah. changing. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Mark. Yeah. No, no, carry on, carry on. Um, you mentioned one important word there, Floss Weekly. Um, given the, uh, okay, full disclosure, Floss Weekly probably was one of my most influential podcasts yes. that I've been listening to for the last almost 10 years. Yes. Um, again, full disclosure, it has shaped my view on open source to a big extent and also got me involved with the community in terms of um, contributing to my own locally, local Linux user group here in Frankfurt, where I live, um, getting involved with the community, organizing conferences and all the rest of it. Um, can you tell can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with Frost Weekly and how this whole Twit slash Leo thing started off? Yeah, so uh, the uh, well, I don't exactly know how how Twit started, but uh, I, there was some sort of well, this week in tech, I guess, was the first podcast that they did. Um, the uh, so what happened was I was uh, a guest on episode nine and uh, after 17 episodes, uh, Chris Devona, who was sort of shepherding, uh, essentially doing my role uh, that I had for many years after that, um, uh, he had a baby. Well, his, I think his wife had Himself. a baby. Okay. Yeah. yeah no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so uh, I was doing a show. Uh, well, I was invited by Leo to uh, go up to Vancouver, BC, and be a, a guest on a few shows up there. It's a, that was a video show, a, a TV show, actually. And uh, during one of the breaks, I said, uh, what happened to Floss Weekly? And he said, well, you know, Chris Tabona, he got busy. Chris Tabona, by the way, uh, in case you don't know, is uh, like the open source advocate at Google. So he has uh, an important responsibility. And, uh, you know, it, it got a little busy for him. Um, and I said, so what would it take to to get that restarted? And he goes, well, I I, I need to get guests. You know, I need to get guests and like that. I said, well, if I bring you guests, can can I like, you know, uh, help out? Can I co-host and stuff? And he goes, sure. And so um, it, my first guest didn't come along for another uh, couple um, uh, a couple months. And then the next one was like a couple months. So it wasn't really weekly for a while. But uh, uh, I started getting a little more regular and uh, started doing that. And so uh, I was pretty much the primary co-host for all those shows for the first uh, maybe 30 shows, 40 shows, somewhere in there. That uh, was 2010 or something? Uh, well, before? whenever, whenever, um, I don't know. Let me do the math. Don't worry about uh, it. 20, yeah, well, it, it was, it was uh, 13 years before 2020. So that's the <laughs> 2007. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, um, so, uh, occasionally I couldn't make it. So we had uh, like John O'Bacon on and a few others. John O'Bacon. Sort of okay. in. Yeah. He was wow. a co-host for a couple of shows. Yeah. Uh, which was really nice. Um, he, uh, uh, so at some point Leo just emails me and says, uh, just take the show over. I mean, you, you know what you're doing. Um, uh, you know how to get the guests on and 
you can probably be a pretty good co-host and stuff like that. So that was uh, about a year after uh, we started with the, the new format. And uh, and then uh, I've been showrunner ever since then until uh, a couple uh, month about a month ago. So the idea of a rotating roster of co-hosts was was that your idea, like the ones of uh, like the ones uh, um, uh, like Aaron, like like um, Dan, like yeah. um, Simon, all the rest of them. Well, I mean, people aren't always available. I was willing to put in the time to uh, always carve out whatever I needed, except mm. when I was on a cruise ship or whatever. So, uh, so I was pretty, uh, I was pretty uh, consistent. But, uh, you know, other people, not so consistent. So, so I had to have a rotating panel of co-hosts. Uh, did you do all, I the, could make it work. all the production and everything around these shows yourself, or did you have some help with that? Oh, so I had everything up to the end of the show. Okay. So in other words, I had to yeah. work out who, who was the guest, who was the co-host, uh, what what was the subjects, uh, you know, organize all that. That was all mine. Uh, and that was about five hours a week, maybe four or five, somewhere in there. And that includes the taping time because the taping time took, cuts into that. Um, and then, and then the moment, uh, the moment it's in the can, the moment we finish the show, uh, Twit does the rest. So they would, uh, they would do the editing down, which wasn't much because we pretty much did live to tape. So, um, uh, there wasn't much to do. And then, um, and then they would do the website and they would do the CDN upload and all that stuff. So yeah, so I, I was lucky because I got all the fun parts. Well, yeah, not I have fun. Not <laughs> and fun I guess with, with uh, building the momentum, it was presumably easier to get. To get guests uh, later on, like that. Oh right, we we got to the point. We got yeah, we got <laughs> to the point. Well, let, let me let me follow up on that note first, and then we'll talk about the spreadsheet. Uh, we got to the point where uh, PR people were emailing me saying my uh, client needs to be on your show, and I knew at that point I had made it mm. because if I was visible enough that the uh, that the PR people were like emailing me you know then I was I was solid definitely solid yeah so you, the you big... didn't consider charging them for this did you <laughs> sorry what you didn't consider charging them to come on your show yet so uh no no I, I would feel bad uh, you know people have always said well why don't you have like a patreon or something like that and I said no I mean whole point of this is that twit needs to get the recognition for you know their advertising revenue and all that stuff i did i don't want to cut into that because um there's a lot of production costs involved on the back end you know there's the all the all the all the editing and i mean you guys know you know there's a lot of stuff to do um so yeah yeah so there's there's no way i was going to cut into that um, I can only recall a very few instances where actually people misused this as a, as a marketing vehicle. The most prominent one, probably the one where Simon simply flipped 
if you remember oh. this. Oh, well, he um, flips a lot, though. <laughs> but really, but really bad. You remember this, this, this um, open source consultancy thing, and Simon was all over it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's all a blur to me now. I don't remember okay. anything about the show. No, no worries. Um, no. Um, yeah. The the feedback that I got from other people I talked to about this episode was quite riveting in terms of Simon lost it. Let's put it this way, because he really took the guy apart. Um, I must look it up because I can't remember the exact episode, but okay. the the guy t- took it quite cool. Um, it was an open source consultancy company that used closed source software internally to do the assessments. Oh, um, I think I remember that one, but uh, it's only vague now. Like I said, it's, don't, don't about it's it. all a blur. All a blur. It's, yeah, it's that episode where Simon lost it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, show, show notes at some point. <laughs> you, know, you know, what's funny is I don't remember any of the – I don't remember really any of the okay. episodes – and part of it is that, uh, you know, somebody will, somebody will say, well, can you put, uh, these guys on the show? And, uh, I, I go, this sounds vaguely familiar. And I have to Google a floss weekly in a topic <laughs> okay. in order now, to figure out if I've done a show or not. Now tell us about the spreadsheet then. Well, the spreadsheet was my way of organizing. So, um, uh, we had uh we had the, the 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 public side of it which is what you could see from the public link but there's uh three additional columns on the right hand side of of the spreadsheet that were private only and that's how we would organize you know what ads there are um who's available for a co-host um you know all that stuff uh, uh, the email address of, of the contact, things like that. So I, that was all in one place. So it was really, really easy for me to manage the show. Um, you know, so, so although you only saw the, the first two columns, mm. I had all these other columns behind it that actually were the detailed information about that particular show. Um, it, interesting thing because every now and then I used to look at the spreadsheet and notice the names coming up there. And right. fair, and fair play to you, Randall. There were quite a few Linux projects on that, on that list. For example, you intended to interview Leonard Puttering of same, uh, of system D fame. Right. Um, according at least to the spreadsheet, but it never came to that if, because you never had him on the show, right? Well, you know, so at the, I would open up like another month or two of shows and uh I have uh all the all the uh the stuff that's just right at the top of the 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 beginning of the of the bottom half and I would email them like month by month so there was a ton of email I sent out all the time and you, you know people didn't respond I couldn't make them respond fair enough so, yeah <laughs> So, you know, it was a little tricky. Um, so that, that was my most frustrating part is that people who had said, I want to be on the show. And then, uh, I email them, you know, every other month or so and they never respond. 
so it's like what what's what's uh what's the deal here so yeah that was that was one of the frustrating parts of managing the show um can i mean the next question is probably a little bit tricky but um for avid re uh, for avid listeners of floss weekly um the following question might not be a surprise because at some stage doc Searles took over of linux magazine fame oh right. but also of twit uh fame need to say um it, it sounded from the outside a little bit abrupt that change so uh, Given the fact that there was no communication on the Twitter website, I'm just wondering what happened. Uh, well, th no, there is communication on the website. Okay. There's a whole there's a whole article on uh, the transition and and that Doc's taken over and uh, and that we thank Randall for 13 years of, of valuable service. No, okay. there's there's a web there's there's a page on on their on the it was on their blog I think. Uh, Somewhere in there, but yeah, no. This, so yeah, yeah, this is probably the uh, yeah. It probably shows that I'm pretty old myself, so maybe I've just have missed this. <laughs> but uh, um, no, it just sounded like like uh, like a little bit strange from the outset. But maybe I should reread this blog. Yeah. Um, well, I think just, it's I yeah. think it's linked from a Twitter uh, okay. a, a tweet a tweet. Uh, this, you see, this so. is the problem, Randall. I'm just too old for these hipster social media things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but Martin, maybe okay. you want to comment on that too. <laughs> it's I use it every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, full disclosure: Probably. Martin is four years younger than I am. <laughs> At least this is what he says. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I will. I will say it was a bit abrupt. Um, But uh, but it's also great because I got five hours a week of my life back, <laughs> and I had done this for 13 years, so that 13 years is plenty. You know, I, I established my reputation. I you know I'm always going to be known now for Floss Weekly as well as being known for Pearl, and still trying to be known better for Dart and Flutter. You know, so yeah. Wild question, Randall. Are there any new plans for new podcasts on the horizon for you? Um, you know, it, it was so much work doing a podcast. Uh, I don't know. I, I've, I've been invited. Yeah. I've been invited. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I've been, Sorry. I've been invited to join a, a, net, a network. Um, so we'll see uh, how much. Uh, whether I'm actually going to take up something on that. Um, uh, let's see. As I'm in a to... paid, paid engagement this time. Or... Uh, uh, you know, that's the interesting thing. When I, when I would read ads, uh, some of the revenue uh, from the ads would come back to me. So it wasn't like this was a totally unpaid gig. Okay. I thought it was yeah. all going to Twitter. Uh, sorry, to Twit, rather. Not Twitter, but Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe going to Twitter, too. We don't know. Um, no, I, mean, I would you... get it. I yeah. would get it. wasn't a lot of money. I mean, obviously, they got to keep most of it because they got to have production costs uh, taken care of. But, uh, no, I'm, I, I, it's, it's not like, like I said, it's not like a lot of money, but it was, uh, But it wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, insignificant. Uh, I mean, 
Leo runs a commercial enterprise, as in Twit is a is a company. So right, and of course, there are production costs and all the rest of it. Right, right. Okay. Um, by the way, uh, you probably you probably can recall the episode. There was an episode with regards to a um, Linux outlaw special about a year or one and a half ago. And this podcast, full disclosure, is called Linux In-Laws for a reason. Um, right. Um, I don't know how much you're familiar with the original Linux Outlaws format as done by Fab and, and Dan. But I listened aim- to a few of them. Okay, but we aim to continue the legacy here. And right. never mind Dan turn, ha- having turned to different, uh, to different subjects. Um, Fab doing very different things these days. Um, I'm just wondering how you came across them initially because that leg- that that kind of legacy episode I reckon wasn't the first one where they were on your pod- uh, on your podcast. Um I-, I think it was the overlap of uh you know Dan. Okay. Because you, know, fact, you knew Dan, Dan way back. Okay. Dan was yeah, Dan was uh, you know, working with me as part of the rotating panel of co-hosts. And then uh uh, I was on a couple of their shows, I think. At least one. I remember okay. at least one. And then, uh, and then we decided that, uh, we would do, uh, sort of a celebration of, uh, Linux Outlaws as one of the podcasts on, on Floss Weekly. Uh, indeed. And just wondering, that goes back to, one of the original questions I had, how did you recruit the co-hosts? Um, uh, friends and friends of friends. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, you, ha- you have to have, you have, I mean, like, like Aaron had his own podcast. Uh, Dan, of course, had his own podcast. Um, Simon was, uh, you know, highly respected in, in the open source community. I think he still so, is in certain quarters. <laughs> sorry, what? I think he still is in certain quarters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, clearly. Being the head uh, of the OSI and stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and when I, when I recruited him, he was, um, he was, uh, the, or, well, you know, used to be Sun, now Oracle, uh, open source advocate. And, uh, so that was, that was important to me to be able to, uh, to pull that together. Hmm. I mean, he certainly added a, a certain color to the whole show given his outspoken nature. Is that the word I'm looking for? Being the OSI, what, I think he, he used to be a chairman, right? Or he still is. I don't know. He was something. I don't remember all the titles he's had. Hmm. It's just, it's just been too many. But the thing is that he's, he's clearly was against, uh, uh, open core <laughs> and all that stuff. So it's like open core. No. You know, like that. And so why, why don't you just open source the whole thing? You know, why, why do you have, uh, uh, you know, a model that doesn't allow for a community? You know, he was, mm-hmm. he was really good at asking all those questions. And so it's funny is on the times when he wasn't there, uh, when I had questions 
uh, about, um, uh, you know, why they're not doing those things. Uh, we would have, we had, we had a back chat so we could chat back and forth with the mm. hosts and the, and the production people. And I would always say, I'm about to channel Simon. <laughs> 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 very very and, funny um it's a, it's a, i play bad cop for a little while and then you know once i play bad cop it was like okay uh, yeah i mean it, it certainly added a, a certain flavor to the whole thing and i think from a communist perspective and i reckon i speak for a lot of people in the open source movement never mind free and open source or software movement you need that sort of uh, different perspective and certainly given the fact that the OSI is one of the most important community representations in this area, it does make a lot of sense to have something like Simon on that podcast. Right, um, right. In the, in the past, but also going forward. Yeah, because the problem think, was, yeah. the problem ahead, was sorry. that he, uh, he, uh, um, he wasn't very technical. He was much more philosophical than technical. Absolutely. Yes. And so, and so, you know, uh, if I needed a technical backup, then, uh, you know, I had to have one of the other guys on to be able to, uh, to do that. Um, but, but, you know, like I said, he was on enough times that I could, I could tell exactly where he was going to go, you know, and, uh, and also that I could channel that channeling Simon, uh, later. Um, Do you have any more people? Sorry. So go ahead, Martin. Did you have any more people like that that you could channel on demand? <laughs> when you, yeah, yeah. not really, not really. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, it, it's very, very sad that we had, uh, you know, Guillermo uh, pass away while we were doing the show uh, because he was he worked well uh, with his maker projects. And, uh, and of course, Aaron was really good at that. So, well, he uh, continues the legacy, you know, with the yeah. space and so forth. Right, right, exactly. Uh, fun fact, did you know actually that I helped to review his book? Oh, good. Good. He was supposed to send me a copy and he didn't. So. <laughs> I just, just pester him. That's why this is what worked for me. Sorry, Alan, you come. If you're listening, full marks, your book is great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, okay, Randall. Um, can we talk, can we talk a little bit about, about ZipRecruiter and what happened afterwards or? You want to give that a miss? We can cut this out too. No, 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 it's fine. Um, uh, well, like everybody that was affected by COVID, um, the, uh, ZipRecruiter laid off, uh, almost, I think, 800 contractors and furloughed about 150 employees. And so. Wow. It, it wasn't, it wasn't me. <laughs> it was, it was, it was the, uh, it was the whole, uh, trying to, you know, pull, pull in all the expenses so that if you had to ride out the storm, you could do that. And, uh, other companies did that too. I've been, I'm on a, uh, a couple of mailing lists that are, that talked about how, uh, you know, we just laid off, we just slewed left and right. 
um, because they had to. Uh, they they needed to they needed to pull in expenses to make sure that uh, they could survive the, this uh, the r- this rough time. But you found something new. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm working for uh, IntelliSurvey right now, which is uh, uh, it's a company based in uh, Orange County, uh, California. So once again, I'm working for a Southern California company. Um, well, so you still com- so you still commuting in that case? Well, uh, no, I I'm not on site at all. I'm just okay. working completely remote. Nobody's working on site these days. Nobody. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's the same here, obviously. But, uh. Yeah. Oh, come, Martin, your turn. <laughs> just to stop me talking for my, just to stop me uh, talking all the time. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, so, so is 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 that your? I mean, do you do these gigs on a, on a short term basis, or, or do you have a, any particular kind of? I mean, uh, yeah. Well, this, this, is it, yeah. This, this one looks up. like it's at least. Uh, um, this one looks like it uh, possibly longer, so we'll see. Um, I've got – I typically – well, I mean, I worked at ZipRecruiter for four and a half years, and I worked at the company before that for a year, and I worked at the company before that for two and a half years. So, no. I mean, they're 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 – I like to have as long term as I can because then I don't have to hunt down, you know, more work. No, that's, that's fair. But you're not um, pursuing any particular kind of, I mean, uh, direction with these gigs. You just it's uh, something that looks vaguely interesting or, or keeps you. Um, I mean, it's just like you know, take uh, take Chris Fryer as long as it's open source related, he'll work for them. But. Um, for yourself, it's it's more of a uh, you know bring the money in kind of scenario. Well, well yeah, I'm just I'm it. just trading I'm trading time for money, you know, and yeah. uh, like, like we all do. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I gotta I gotta pay the bills. I gotta pay the bills. We all do, right? Simple as that. Right, <laughs> right. exactly, exactly. Um. Uh, yes. Um, okay. Uh, as soon as the word got out that we are doing an interview with you today, people start sending in money to get the truth <laughs> about the Mexican situation. Um, <laughs> jokes aside, what's the story with 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 the Mexican apartment and the fridge uh, and the fridge magnets? Well, I, I won't I won't be there for a while because uh, I can't renew I can't renew my passport. Uh, the U.S. Oh. is not renewing passports right now, so. I'm kind okay. of screwed. Um, and so I can't go there. Not that I could, if I had a passport, could I go there? Because they also shut down the border. So, uh, I can't, uh, I can't get there at all. Actually, my passport's good to the end of June, but, uh, okay. like I said, I'm not really counting on them opening the border before then. Might be a bit tricky getting back as well. <laughs> and the apartment is a timeshare or do you own the place? Um, it's, I'm on a lease. Okay. So, you you seem to have split your time between, between, um, um, Oregon as well as Mexico, right? Right. Yeah. I I prefer Mexico because, uh, it's, uh, um, here, uh, uh, an Uber to get to the nearest restaurant is probably $12, 
there, an Uber to get even to downtown central uh, Tijuana is three dollars. <laughs> so everything <laughs> okay. is everything is much cheaper. <laughs> yes, okay. everything is much cheaper. Plus, uh, just right outside, um, I live in the uh, the the uh, uh, residential district, uh, but it's about a block and a half to nine restaurants. Okay. All in a row. And so it's walking distance. I mean, it, and it's safe walking distance because it's right by a hospital. You know, so people aren't going to mess with you. Um, you like, like your Mexican food as well then? Uh, yeah, well, you know, what's funny is they have like an, a, an amazing variety of food. It's not just Mexican food, but I do mm-hmm. like Mexican food. So no big deal. Uh, and I like him. spicy stuff. <laughs> I like spicy stuff, so it's kind of cool. It's, no. You know, what's funny is I went to Brazil uh, a few times, and I asked about, you know, is your is your food spicy? And they go, no, no, they don't they don't like spicy food in Brazil, which I thought was weird because it's a Latin American country, you know, but it's a Latin country, Probably. so it's, it's a little weird. That's yeah. the Portuguese for you, right? So uh, they, they, Spa- Spain <laughs> is, is, is a neighbor, but hey, <laughs> you can't have it all. Right. Okay, um, one last question before we have to wrap this up. Um, the obsession with cruises. What do you mean obsession? <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, for an average person, you, you seemed to go on cruises quite a lot. Yeah, I've been on 82 in the last uh, 15 years. <laughs> this is what I call the question, yes. <laughs> Sorry, do you care to elaborate or? Sorry, well, no, no, but. So, uh, what happened was I was asked to be the first speaker on the first cruise, which was a Pearl cruise. I see. And there were 10 speakers and I was one of them, but I was the first one asked. And there was about 200 people that were attending the classes. And it went uh, out of uh, Vancouver, B.C. Uh, no, not, yeah, not Vancouver, B.C. Vancouver, yeah, Vancouver, B.C. up to uh, uh, Juneau and back, basically. And I thought I wouldn't like cruising because I kept thinking shuffleboard and all those other <laughs> crappy things, buffets. Right. But I liked it so much, I said uh, to uh, Neil Bauman, uh, Captain Neil, we call him, uh, can I go on the second cruise? And he says, sure. Uh, can you talk about something about Java? Because that's what the cruise is about. And I said, you serious? I said, I can do, I said, I can do, uh, I can do Java. I said, I can do Java regular expressions because that's the same as Perl regular expressions. <laughs> and so I basically taught a class on, uh, on, uh, you know, Java regular expressions. And, and then I liked that so much that I just said, I'll go on the next one. I'll go on the next one. Uh, on a lot of them, I was a speaker, uh, at least in the early days. But, uh, after that, the, uh, um, um, uh, uh, it was, it was like not my subject matter. So I couldn't do anything. So okay. I ended up the, the deal with, uh, Captain Neal was 
for the ones I'm speaking on, I would get my room for free. On the ones that I was um, um, just attending, I would get the room at wholesale. So that's nice. that still wasn't bad. It was still like a thirty percent discount. So, nice. uh, so it worked out nice. And, but thanks yeah. to that, I've been I've been to uh, um, let's see, did I say eighty two cruises or eighty two? You did, yes. You did, yeah. Eighty two okay. cruises. Okay, I think. Well, so somewhere in there, I think. Oh, it's, I think it's sixty two countries. So okay. somewhere in there, I, I think I might have got those backwards. I think it might be no 62 <laughs> and 82 uh, countries. But I know I've been like all over the world and it, I, been to lots of places I wouldn't have ever gotten to because of these cruises. So I'm very happy. Yeah, because and, I mean, uh, yeah, go and, ahead. And, and it's too bad. It's too bad that, you know, I don't think the cruise industry is going to recover. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, it's just, it's just, they're, they're dry docking some of their ships. They're, you know, because, because nobody wants to be on, uh, you know, a, 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 a metal box in the ocean with a lot of other people these days. So it's a little, it's a little crazy. Okay. Um, final three questions. Um, there's a long standing, okay. there's a long standing tradition. In our um, um, numerous seasons, never mind episodes of these seasons, <laughs> um, to do a pox, as in a pick of the week. Uh, so anything that comes to mind that you have come across recently or um, earlier um, that interested that 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 you found interesting that you found worth memor worth worth um, mentioning worth um, remembering. Um, ah, this is and an of ambush, course, that's, okay. yeah. There's also, there's also, yeah. That's the, that's the whole, that's the whole idea behind the pox, yes. And of course, right. there's also an anti-pox, as in as an reverse pox. Uh, you know, nothing's coming to mind. It's, uh, it's not the way I think. So, okay. I'm trying to remember everything I've seen this week, um, or, or in, even in the last four weeks, I'm not, I'm not finding anything. So. I don't and, know. Yeah, and final two questions. This goes back to a long-standing tradition that I picked up from someplace, or that we picked up from someplace else. Your favorite compiler-based programming language, as in a programming language that takes a piece of source code and translates it to machine code rather than interpreting programming language. Huh. Uh, so Dart right. wouldn't qualify. Uh, actually, though, no, they, they now have uh, Dart standalone, so it, <laughs> okay. it does compile down. So, yes, you, you could say it's the, the Dart standalone. My cool. And my, you see, other podcasts asked about favorite editors, but we're going to give that a miss. What's <laughs> your favorite typesetting system, if you have one? Uh, well, I haven't used one in a while. Um, I did write. I did write a macro package for uh, NROF TROF that was eventually used to essentially create Programming Pearl. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And what's funny? What's funny is is it went full circle. Uh, 
I wrote this at, well, I was at Tektronix, which was the biggest employer in Oregon for a while. And one of my, one of my, uh, 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 one of the guys that worked for me took a copy of it with him and took it and, uh, eventually, uh, 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 Tim O'Reilly and he and Steve, I should say his name, um, Tim O'Reilly and Steve used that as their way of, uh, writing all the X books. So all the X 11 books, those were all, yeah, those were all written using my macros. Okay. So when we signed up for programming Pearl, um, 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 the, the, the editor sent these macros to me and, uh, said, uh, and I looked in the source code and there's my comments. So it's, it's wow. my code. It was absolutely my code. And the next day, the editor, uh, for the, for programming Pearl said, are you going to have any trouble understanding these macros? And he, I said, I wrote them. I wrote them. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to have any problem understanding this. And so he says, no, no, we, we, we wrote this in house. And I go, no, you didn't. <laughs> I see my comments. I see Andy my comments. Put your name in the comments. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yes. In rough, t rough. Uh, interesting. Okay. Randall, we have to wrap this up. Thank right. you very much for being on this, on this episode. Much appreciated. And well, thanks all, for having me. Thanks for having and, me. And, and anytime. And we're looking forward to having you back at some stage. Yep. And thanks again for, for, for joining this podcast and talk to you soon. Take right. care. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Martin, what, what do you, you think of what, what do you make of the interview? Oh, it was, I think it was uh, a very great insight into Floss Weekly, which is one of your favorite podcasts. And yeah, I think as we discussed recently, there, there's going to be some changes, right, to Floss. You see this, yeah, in terms Sorry, of its ahead. popularity and you'll see. Yeah, the way things are run. You see this already mm. coming up. Um, the format is changing. Um, not too sure if how many listeners have observed this transition from Randall to some to somebody called Doc Searles. Um, the format is changing. In addition to the content, um, he still does do the co-hosts, but in contrast to Randall, he doesn't give an overview of the projects um, on any given week anymore. But rather, it's now about topics. So, um, about a week ago, you had some old fathers, it's not politically correct, so some elderly person talking, yes. A grumpy old person? Uh, No, uh, some older, sorry, elderly person talking about ham radio and how this whole internet thing came about. Uh, Right. Um, My impression is... And I'm more than happy to put some money on this. Or maybe we can just basically put this. Quite <laughs> <Yes. a> beer. 
<laughs> Unfortunately, I'm bound by an internal NDA, so I can't really talk about the specifics of this <laughs> remark. <laughs> okay, guys. Okay, people. Sorry. Um, Martin is referring to a previous incident that we unfortunately cannot discuss in the show. Um, <clears throat> I'm more than happy to put some money on this, but I reckon before long, Twit TV uh, will have a problem with regards to dropping listenerships for, for, for Floss Weekly, unless Leo, who's the guy behind Twit, um, can mobilize OAPs like us, like Martin and myself. OAPs are standing, of are standing, of course, for old age pensioners, as in people who are really old and have been around when ham radio was still the rage. And obviously, have a pension, obviously have a pension, which we don't. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, any other take on this, Martin? No, it was good. It was good. Um, I, I, I like the interview because, obviously, as we are both. Um, very new to podcasting. It was a good insight into how they started and um, how they got people on the show and how it went from there. So. I mean, I said it on the interview, but Randall and I started listening, I think, in 2013, 2014, stuff like this, or maybe as early as 2012. Yeah. Funny enough, that was also the time when Redis Labs was founded, I think. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, that show has been pivotal, <laughs> pun intended. Um, uh, yes, Martin used to work for Pivotal. Um, if anybody's wondering about this remark, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> so did uh, Peter Northeis. Yeah, yes, yeah. indeed. And, uh, oh, sorry, yes, that was VMware. Salvatore worked for yep. this too, but not to worry about this. Um, he did? Yes, uh, uh, Rendell was actually one of the driving forces behind my interest in community communication, let's put it this way. And I reckon it's fair to say, without Randall, there wouldn't be a Linux in-laws. Um, you'll see this every now and then, because we do bring on guests, although we do not do this on a weekly basis. Uh, <clears throat> but this whole format and uh, the projects that we cover and, and, the, and the guests we bring on certainly reflects the kind of early days of Floss Weekly. So to say that Floss Weekly has been an inspiration for Linux in laws is probably just an understatement. And it's really sad to see Randall going from this show because I reckon that mm within a certain period of time listeners will, the listenership will, will decrease and that's rather unfortunate because I consider, never mind what other people say um, the Floss Weekly which was then still run by Randall Schwartz as one of the cornerstones of community coverage in terms of communication giving the projects mm -hmm. that are worth covering a an outlet, if you will, to spread the word. Um, of course, the so course, go ahead, Martin. Alternative podcast now. There is. There's yeah. something called Linux in laws, of course. <laughs> Blatant self promotion ending tag. <laughs> okay. No jokes aside. Um, uh, it was. I mean, why did I start to listen to Floss uh, to, to Floss Weekly? Straightforward. I was. Uh, still commuting to work then, which is not the case anymore because I normally I, ju I just work from home these days. But during the commute, 
These hour-long episodes gave me an overview of happening projects in the community. You had the community, you had the project people on the show asking questions. Mm. You had live participations from the audience. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it was then, I think, an IRC channel or some chat, or, or some chat room on, on Twitter.tv, uh, where, where you could actually ask live questions. And I think this is still on with a new formula, but I'm not too sure. But, um, that was always an opportunity to participate in a live show, but even you, if, if you would listen to a recording like I did most of the times during my commute, it would give you within these 50 minutes, 60 minutes, just a combat overview of what that project was all about. And when I finally got home, back home on that day, if the project deemed to be interesting enough, I simply checked it out. Um, oh, I cool. used Floss cool. Weekly, full disclosure, on, a quite few, on, on quite a few occasions myself to promote more or less events, not projects. So, for example, um, the Linux user group that I still that I'm still chairing does something called the mouse the mouse door opener day. It's essentially a very the, the mouse door opener? opener project. You'll find the link. Yeah, you find the link in the show notes. Okay. Um, the the show with the mouse is a long-standing entertainment format that has been going on for the last 45, 50 years, something like this in Germany. Um, and about, I think, seven or eight years ago, they introduced something called the Mouse Door Opener Day, where kids go, could go places to, to, to through doors that otherwise would be closed. Um, meaning that uh, the LUG, the Linux user group that I'm, that I'm chairing, or co-chairing rather, Mm-hmm. Um, has been participating in these mouse door opener. It is organized by the broadcaster for the last um, three years, four years, something like this. I mean, you just say there won't be a mouse door opener day this year for obvious reasons, but for the last four years, actually, sorry, yes, um, we have been doing this, introducing kids between the age of six and 12 during the course of a full day to open source. So the way we did it, basically, mm-hmm. we brought them in. Um, we had about four projects or four, or four um, software packages that we used, like LibreOffice, so kids could do their, own, uh, their first presentation with LibreOffice. Um, and then Scratch, where you would simply use a GUI to program mm-hmm. instead of writing code. And, this, mm-hmm. and then uh, making music with Linux and so forth. The idea was, basically, in contrast to schools where Microsoft still use that as a training ground for kids to introduce them at least here in Germany I think that's, that's to introduce them yeah. to, to, to Excel, to Word and to PowerPoint to show them an open source alternative and um, the, present, uh, the, the kids normally had the opportunity to present their work and did so by the way I can still remember mm-hmm. the first the first Master Opener Day when we did this a six-year-old girl presented one slide, made, uh, done with impress, in front of an audience of about 40 people. First presentation of forever. The mother was crying, but she still made an appearance. <laughs> I mean, this is it's just amazing. And we have been doing this, as I said, for the last four years. And uh, this is... Um, and so I went public with this on, on, on Floss Weekly. I... Pro- I and I reckon, actually, no, sorry. In the following year, 
at least two people that came to almost opener they said now look we heard about this not just on the tv show but also on floss weekly and i found this quite amazing which tv show the, the show with the mouse because they normally tease at that mouse door opener day okay okay sorry there is also a TV show with Max. Well, uh, yes, that was the show that has been going on for the last 40 plus years. In Germany. Yes. In Germany. Okay. It's all getting very confusing, Martin, I know. <laughs> that, that explains. Okay, first yeah. there was a TV show, and then about 30 plus years into the show, they introduced this most opener day. It takes place on the 3rd of, of October, normally in the year. And the idea is to open doors that are normally closed for parents and children alike. So, um, firefighters open their doors, library open their doors. Um, mm-hmm. what else? Uh, there's a various cooking school that blatantly uses in Frankfurt that blatantly uses this as a PR gag, um, or promotion to get more parents into their cooking classes. So anything goes and the LUG here in Frankfurt decided to particip- to participate in this most door in, in this most door opener day, as I said about four years ago. Cool. Sounds great. So um yes, and I promoted this on, mm. on Frost Weekly yeah. and the year after that we got feedback. Um and talking, talking of which, yeah, enough with the with, with the self promotion, let's go on to, let's get on to the feedback. An anonymous listener posted on Hacker Public Radio, by the way, where we host the show for the for the time being, and should that change, you'll be the first to know, as in we're going to announce it here on the show. Um, an anonymous listener posted it uh, posted a comment on the 2nd of July about um, a previous episode and said that the discussion about licenses and contribution agreements was interesting and informative. For example, I really like the way Fred explained how LGPL works in the context of projects like Big Blue Button and how it compares to AGPL. Thanks for the show. Thank you, anonymous listener. This was episode seven. Martin, Martin is the bean counter of, of the two of us. So he keeps track about subjects, topics, interviews, and uh, guests. I'm more on the creative... Well, we also have a Yes, I'm, I'm more on the creative side. I, re- I For example, <laughs> I read comments. That's my job. Excellent. So, yes, that, of, that was, of course, the, the episode on the Big Blue Button. And there was another comment posted on that um, particular day by Ahuka, who is, who is, of course, a frequent mm-hmm. contributor to Hacker Public Radio, in case people are missing this. And he said, good interview. I really enjoyed the interview. Good sort of information about an open source project. And Ahuka and... Also, to you, anonymous listener, thank you for your feedback. We appreciate it. <laughs> okay, people, the next episode will be on a teaser, Two Old Farts and Their Arrival at Communism. <laughs> you want to elaborate, Martin? Uh, yes, so uh, uh, the next episode will be um, done by our... Uh, great friends and colleagues um, David and Thomas (laughs) who are both grumpy and old and like to talk about communism being Um, from Eastern Germany Martin got this wrong okay Blatant, blatant, not self-promotion. Um, there's a check it out. It's on SoundCloud. It's on SoundCloud. There's a new podcast called Two Grumpy Old Coders. Both two Eastern Germans talking about Microsoft and Redis. 
Now, if this is up here, Annie, check it out. I'll put the link into the show notes just in case. <laughs> Martin is toying with the idea of bringing them on as guests. I'm not so confident or I'm not so sure about this. Let's see. Um, I think we were doing a sketch, right? <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> Calls for a sketch. Yeah. Uh, Martin, uh, sorry, um, David and Thomas, if you're listening to this, feel free to get in touch so we don't have to do a sketch. <laughs> I'm sure they were looking forward to the sketch. <laughs> okay. Um, anything else before we close this? Oh, yeah, of, of course, the teaser, yes. No, the next... Yes, so yes. The next, yeah, go, the next show it. will be about Martin and myself mm. talking how we got, not to just here, but also to the concept of open source. So Martin will spill the beans, how he ended up at, what, what's the name of that new company, Martin, you're working for? Blit something, right? Blit, Blit or something? Blit, Blit? Not yet, not yet. No, no, no. Give <laughs> okay. Which is, of course, a closed source company. I hope Martin can live with the pain. It's an open Is core it? company. Okay, like, so uh, well, I'm still working for. Well, hmm, open core, maybe open peripheral. <laughs> <laughs> if you can, Martin, it's if, a new if concept. You can live with the pain, that's okay, no worries. And where, as, where I continue to work for an open core company called Redis Labs, full disclosure. But this show won't be about Martin's new employer, nor it will be about Redis Labs, but rather it will be at. Yes, no marketing, no, no marketing involved in contrast sure. to, the, to the grumpy two old coders. Uh, I might add. Um, no, it will be essentially a show about uh, reminiscing about the past and how we got into open source and our road to these uh, to, to these concepts and communism and stuff. So if you're interested in l learning, hearing about how some old farts got to into open source way back, check out, what is it, season one, episode 13, right? 14, 13, 13. Yes. This is 12, so upcoming one is... is Randall's 12, yes. Yes, Mr. Visser, excellent. And, of course, you'll find us on Hacker Public Radio. Um, feel free, we are always looking for feedback, feel free to get in touch, either by a comment on Hacker Public Radio itself, or, preferred, send feedback to feedback at linuxinlaws.eu. And a final closing remark, um, going forward, you may find us on Google Podcasts if I got this right over the weekend. Stay tuned. This episode is proudly powered by the Grumpy Old Coders. Why leave your business-critical projects to the young hipsters with their fancy, loosely-coupled programming languages like JavaScript and Python, never mind that fad called NoSQL databases, which will be history in a fortnight when you can count on rock-solid professional experience dating back decades rather than weeks, with the combined expertise span of touching nearly a century, we can assure you that the app stack driving your collective will not only survive the next few decades, but does so in an optimized fashion, using our patented Windows on Rust technology, essentially a Windows emulation running on Big Iron, we can crunch your SQL Server batch runs from months or weeks down to days, giving you a near real-time insight into how your business is doing. 
so that you can send that all-important fax to the underperforming branch tomorrow rather than next week. The grumpy old coders are proud to support Linux in Laws, the up-and-coming open-source podcast. We are all communists at heart, comrades. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license, type attribution share alike. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for their song Salute Margaret, to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow, used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice, used by the Dark Side. You'll find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Chimando, a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. <laughs> So we can bitch about Mint or, or, or Ubuntu or both. And Snaps and... Audio. Yes, indeed, we can. <laughs> <laughs> Rendell, hi. Hi. Good to have you back. Again. Yeah. Now, Rendell, uh, don't, be, uh, don't be disappointed we don't do video normally. So you're more than happy right. to turn your video on, but... But, but I got to show you my kick-ass camera. I gotta That's okay. Out. That's okay, Rendell. But as I said, so, you won't see any video stream... You don't see any video. You won't see any video of us because okay, a, yeah, because fine. a I'm naked and Martin is <laughs> wearing a lipstick, so that's okay. Should we resume? Yes. Martin yes, is undecided. Okay. So you want to do yes. feedback next? Yes. <laughs> I want to do feedback and the outro, and then we're almost finished. Okay. <coughs> Which comes in handy because feedback. it's twenty to eight. Yes. Good timing. Good timing. And cut. So, Martin, what do you make of... What do you mean, cut? Why are you cutting and again? cut because the interview's finished. <laughs> Stop cutting, man. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and... It's not cut, it's resume, resume. Cut slash resume. <laughs> we have yes, we do. Yes, episode um, number eight. Yes. You want to read this out? The review of the review. Yeah, uh, sure. I sure. thought we did this already. But so to do, it, to, do hmm? the, to do this again. What do you mean? The review of the review. How can we do this? How can how can we do this already if we just done the big blue button uh, comment? Because that was, was before. It? Okay. Eight. Yes. Big blue button was seven. Gloria was eight. So why don't you read it out then? Sure. So. Comment by Claudio N. Also a contributor to HBO. I wonder who that is. <laughs> could be anybody, right? <laughs> anyway, he says, All according to plan, smiley face. You really thought I would have done my research? I wouldn't have done my research before recording. This is the next step on. Yes, we have done Yes, Martin, we did. <laughs> what? No, 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 no. Why are we doing feedback on seven then 
because we yes, didn't we do the did feedback on no 7 sense. yet. Why didn't we do the feedback on 7? We didn't do it. It has to do with our production schedule, yes. Scheduling. Um, just blame Excellent. the... Um, uh, no, 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 no. Who's, who's okay. doing that these days? It's, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not on you anymore. It's. It's post-production it's department. No. Peter. No, no. Hang on. It's the two grumpy old coders. Yes. David and and, and Thomas. David, Thomas, please do a better job next day. In, in, in next 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 time around, please do because as you see, this really fucks up our schedule. Mm-hmm. Okay. Episode nine then. Okay. Um You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.